0: hello everybody I'm uh, Anthony Harris again with another episode of my podcast looking back moving forward I appreciate your tuning in and listening to what I have to say today because this is indeed a special weekend this is MLK weekend Of course the 15th was his birthday today is the 16th and and tomorrow we officially as a nation um, take time to honor the life and legacy Martin Luther King Jr. And I want to talk a little bit about Dr. King and what he meant to me, what he has meant to so many people in this country, not just black people, and not just people in this country, but around the world. You go anywhere in this country, in this world, um, the name Martin Luther King means something. Uh, People will recognize his name and will know so much about what he did to bring about social justice and and equal opportunities, and 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 fight segregation in this country. That's a period in our country uh, when legally black people did not have the rights that white people had, <clears throat> and it was strictly because of the color of our skin. So, uh, just want to talk a little bit about his life again. What it what it has meant to me. I would like to start with um, back in nineteen sixty eight. Uh, of course, Dr. King was assassinated on in, in April 4th, 1968, and that was a Thursday. And I remember going to school on Friday, and I was a, a, one of the few black students at W.I. Junior High School back in, in 1968. And I remember going to, to class that Friday morning, and my white classmates were just having a, a really good time. They were in a very uh, gleeful mood. They were celebrating the fact that Dr. King had just been assassinated the night before. They were making such crass comments like, hey Wick, how'd you get from Memphis so quick? Chuck, nice shot. The King is dead. And then they would erupt in this this spontaneous laughter, uh, laughter, and celebrating the the death of another human being. And, And most of all, a man who who lived his life and promoted uh, nonviolence as a as a means of protest? Yet these people were angry, th- these people were happy that Dr. King was now dead. I'm sitting there. I'm the only black kid in the room, and and all kinds of emotions are going through my head and my heart. I'm I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm hurt. Uh, these people have no no compassion at all. They they are being intentionally hurtful, and, and they want me to feel hurt. They want me to feel insulted. And they they were succeeding at getting me to feel that way, but I, I did not show much of it. I just kept my head down as my mind kind of thought back to what Dr. King meant to me and, and how I remember Dr. King. My, I flash back at that moment to the month before in March when Dr. King came to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Uh, He came to Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church there on uh, Spencer Street in Hattiesburg. And I I never will forget, uh, word got around town that Dr. King was going to be at Mount Zion around 6.30 or 7 o'clock that evening. Of course, before that time, the church was packed. Nobody wanted to miss this opportunity to hear and see uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, the pews were packed. They brought out folding chairs, put them in the aisles. The, the balcony at Mount Zion was filled. And we were just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And we realized after a while that Dr. King was, may not be, he, he might be on no show. We weren't sure if he was going to make it because it was getting well past the time he was scheduled to be there. And of course, he was up in Laurel, Mississippi, uh, before he was scheduled to come to Hattiesburg. And of course, Laurel, Mississippi, Jones County uh, was home of the white knights of the Ku Klux Klan. And I've always said they they would have loved to have uh, been the ones who assassinated Dr. King and claimed that uh, him as a trophy for their, their uh, white supremacy cause. But uh, nonetheless, around midnight, Dr. King showed up. And I guarantee you, folks, uh, that church was as packed at midnight as it was at 6.30 or 7 o'clock. Again, because nobody wanted to to miss this once in a lifetime opportunity to see and to hear and to be in the presence of this great man and i remember sitting there uh, just mesmerized by his oratory how he his style of speaking everything we 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 had seen him on television delivering speeches and sermons that's just what we got that evening and and i just i remember him dressed in this this green suit and he was standing there uh, behind the uh, the pulpit there, and and he was just uh, he was bringing it. I mean he was, I, I mean I can I can't remember everything he said, but the the gist of his message was, you know folks, uh, freedom ain't free. You know we've got a long way to go, and we've got to stay strong. We've got to stay committed. We have to keep pushing because there are people in this country who want to stop us. So they want to turn back the hands of time. So. Um, I remember going home in the wee hours of the morning. And of course, this is a, a school night and we have to go to school and adults have to go to work the next morning. And, and I just felt so energized, uh, even given the lateness of the hour. I had been one of the fortunate ones to actually be in the presence of, of this great man and to be inspired by him and to be energized by him. And to feel that, uh, just feel that energy. Um, and, and and it sort of renewed my commitment uh, to the struggle, and I think ever since then, <clears throat> and to my, and to my present time, I, I I have remained committed to social justice, and and I have to say, uh, Dr. King didn't create that in me, but he certainly strengthened it and and reinforced it. So I I'm just very, very happy that I had that opportunity to see him. Well, going back to that classroom, <coughs> the. Uh, the students again were very happy that dr king was uh, was dead and outside the standing outside the door was our homeroom teacher and it was time for the the class to start and she walked in she could hear there was some commotion going on there was some laughter going on and there was just some some noise going on and and when she walked in i had this this moment of this moment of hope i i, I felt that I was going to have somebody there who would rescue me from my um, my hurt and my pain, and somebody who would just get onto these these students and read them the riot act about not being so dead gum and sensitive about the death of another man. And lo and behold, I didn't get that. I'm not sure if she knew what was going on, but I, I believe she simply didn't want to <clears throat> antagonize the students. I don't think she wanted to take it to that level. So she just told the kids, uh, boys and girls, y'all quiet down. You're making too much noise. And that was the end of it. I was so disappointed that here's an adult who should know better. These these 14, 15-year-old kids, young adolescents, young teens, um, I cannot excuse their behavior, cannot excuse their words. They were very hurtful and very hateful words. But here's an adult who, who had an opportunity to step in and use that as a teachable moment about compassion and about kindness and about uh, just being um, true to, to, our, to our mission to be helpful and supportive of, of, of our fellow man and have to stand up for what's right and to stand up for justice and try to emulate uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And that's, that's what I wanted to hear, but unfortunately did not get that. Well, um, again, April 4th, 1968, in Memphis, Tennessee, is where Dr. King was assassinated. And it, it tore this country apart. For those of you who were around at that time, <clears throat> there was so much uh, chaos around the country. Uh, Bobby Kennedy, I remember speaking to a crowd, watching on TV him speaking to a crowd, announcing that uh, Dr. King had been assassinated. And... And people were just so hurt and so angry. I think they felt the same way I felt as I sat in that classroom, listening to these very hurtful remarks from people, the hurt, the anger, the fear. All of those things just melded together. And, and and sometimes we don't know what to do with those emotions sometimes. And um, so, unfortunately, there was a lot of, uh, lot of rioting and a lot of uh, uprisings around the country. And... Uh, I think people were just so doggone angry and frustrated. Here's a man who was talking about peace. He, would, he, he, he followed the teachings of Jesus. He, he followed Gandhi. Uh, nonviolence. Uh, hit me on one side of the face, hit me on one cheek, turned the other one, that sort of thing, that, that passive resistance. And, and he, he meant no harm to anybody. He did no harm to anybody, but yet he was taken from us. And I will again be consider myself so honored to have been in his presence. Well, today, um, since his birthday has become a a national holiday, I thought was a a a good move on the part of the U.S. Congress. Although it was not unanimous, uh, people like John McCain from Arizona did not support the bill. Of course, Jesse Helms from North Carolina um, did not support the the uh, Martin Luther King birthday uh, bill, but it became law, and and today uh, it is a national, um, federal holiday, state holiday. Local schools are out. You know, a lot of a lot of things just shut down on MLK Day. And what we're going to hear tomorrow, especially when the official on Monday, the official recognition, you're going to hear lots of speeches. You're going to hear. Lots of people, particularly um, people who you, you're going to hear good messages and positive messages from, maybe from people like uh, Dr. King's son and and some others who who have a a message of we need to persevere, we we need to stay in the struggle. the The struggle is not over. Dr. King would not want us to just give up and give out and give in. He would want us to continue to work, to, to continue to uh, uh, make the dream come true. But you also you will also hear from people who are very conservative, uh, um, Republicans who will extol the virtues of Dr. King. They will uh, have all kinds of platitudes to, uh, to to throw out there about what Dr. King's life meant and what his legacy was. And, and I'm telling you folks, these are the same people who will stand against the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. They will vote against it. They will not support it. Yet they have the audacity to to celebrate and even to mention the name of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stood for equality. He stood for voting rights. He stood for justice. And and that is such a a, a pro-democratic message How can you be against that? How can you oppose that? Yet we have 50 Republicans in the U.S. Senate who say, we do not want to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Why? Because that means, they're not going to say it publicly, but that means that that will empower, that will enable more and more black voters and brown voters and voters of color to become registered voters. They will go out and they will very likely vote for Democrats. And they cannot have that. They have to do everything they can to suppress the vote, and and it all ties into uh, to Donald Trump's, you know, his stop the steal thing and uh, that all that nonsense and, and and these these state legislatures that came along and and passed these voter suppression laws and and, and voter subversion laws that are going to, in their in their mind and, and they're hoping what it's going to do is diminish the impact that black voters will have in the next elections, whether that's in 2022 or 2024, whenever it is. So with this Civil Rights Bill, this this John Lewis Voting Rights Act, it, it's going to make the federal elections have to have some criteria that, uh, that that apply to everybody in federal elections. Now, what you do at the state level, that's, that's your business. But for federal elections, like for um, congressional elections and presidential elections, there are certain standards and there are certain criteria and certain rules that everybody has to follow. And all of this gerrymandering and all of these voter suppression laws, if this passes, would nullify all of those things. And that would really be a, a, a great way to honor the legacy of John Lewis and, and Martin Luther King, people who, who sacrificed so much to advance democracy and to help... Had they were they were they were uh, pathfinders and they were people who who went out and, and 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 they were trailblazers. That's the word I was looking for. They were trailblazers and they they sacrificed a lot so that we could have the right to vote. And now people want to suppress that. These legislatures want to suppress that. And then we have, you know, there are lots of people upset about the fact that. We don't the Democrats don't have the fifty votes to to pass this this bill. The House has already passed it, but you know, who do you get angry with? Who who do you who do you take your your your, your anger out on? Well, I, I first start with those Republicans who, you know, none of the fifty, they can't even get ten Republicans to say, This is a matter of national importance, it's a matter of of justice, it's a matter of being faithful to the the constitution of one person, one vote. It's it's, It's something that we need to do in order to advance our democracy. We don't need to take steps backwards to make it harder for people to vote. We need to do things to make it easier for people to vote. We could not get any of those Republicans to support the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And then we got on the Democratic side. We have two senators, Manchin from West Virginia and Senema from Arizona, who have taken the view that, and they speak with, I don't know, out of both sides of their mouths, I guess that's the best way to put it. They, they have this double speak. While they, on, on the Senate floor, they say, we support the aims of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. We think voting is a sacred right, and we need to do everything we can to ensure that people get the right to vote. Now that's what they say. But in order to make that happen, we have to do something about this filibuster. And one of the things that that Schumer and others are saying, let's just have a, we're not saying let's get rid of the filibuster. What they're saying is let's carve out this exception to the filibuster rule. Because with the filibuster you have to have 60 votes. And since Democrats only have 50, they, need, they would need 10 Republicans to get to that 60 threshold. But when you have Cinema and uh, Manchin saying, no, they're not going to support it, that leaves 48. And there's no way in the world if you're going to get 12 Republicans to take up the slack there. just isn't going to happen. So, you know, what they're, they're, they're saying they don't want this car about because they think in the future, Republicans will be able to use that against Democrats. I would say, look, we're not talking about the future. The present time is now. We have a duty, we have an obligation to do something about voting rights today and to say, we are afraid, we don't want to take that step, we don't want to tick off these Republicans because in the future, they may turn the tables on us. Well, they've already turned the tables on you. You know, when when these Supreme Court justices, uh, Gorsuch and some of these others, uh, Mitch McConnell simply said, uh, "We're going to have a uh, uh, only a, a 50 vote. Uh, all you need is 50 votes to um, confirm Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. We're not going to do the 60. We're going to do 50. When they want to raise the debt limit, they don't say we need 60. They say we need 50. And, and there have been many, many times when Congress has, because it's their own rule, it's not something that they have to go." That that says constitutionally they have to do this. It is their own rule. They can change the rule and they can make exceptions to the rule. But you know, cinema and, and, and manchin are not willing to do that. And, and and the cynic in me says the base, particularly Manchin in West Virginia, his base is not people of color. It is his base is 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 conservative, republican. Democrats who are conservative, you know, just, they're not going to be, he he doesn't care about the base of the Democratic Party. He cares about the base of the West Virginia Democratic Party and what the voters in the West Virginia want him to do. And he's not going to do anything that would cause him to be primaried or cause him to lose election. Because uh, obviously for many of these politicians, staying in power is what it's all about. So I'm very disappointed in the Republicans who will not cross over and and lend the votes that are needed to um, to to vote for cloture on this this measure so that it can get passed and become enacted, and um, that and then we just got through talking about cinema and and their their cowardice I think that's the best way I can put it. They're, they lack a spine. Their logic is twisted when they talk about, oh, we, we love Dr. King. We, we think voting, right is, voting rights should be um, guaranteed for everybody. But at the same time, we're not going to do what it really takes to make that happen. If they had courage, if they had backbone, if they had a spine, they would step up and make that happen. We know where the Republicans, you, we, we know why they don't want it. They, they don't want the bill to pass because it's going to make voting easier, particularly among people of color. That's their, that's their mantra. They have to do everything they can to suppress the vote. But the Democratic Party has a much different take on that. And we ought to be about the, the business of making it easier, not making, making it more difficult for people to vote. So I'm, I'm just really, um, I'm angry about it but not surprised by it because that's the world we live in. That's the, that's the influence of Donald Trump. That's the influence of Trumpism. Uh, although a lot of this stuff went, um, went on before him. Mike Pence was talking the other day that, you know, he, he thinks well, things like this, like the, the uh, Voting Rights Act, all those things should be left to the states. Well, back in 2006 or 2008, whenever it was, when the Voting Rights Act was uh, recertified, many of these Republicans voted for it. And and, and they didn't put up any kind of argument about this is a state's right issue or anything like that. They went ahead and voted for it. Now, all of a sudden, in 2021, they are claiming that it's a state's right issue. Come on, give me a break. We know what that's about. You are playing politics. You are playing some very racist politics. And you want to see the impact of black votes and Hispanic votes diminish because, again, you don't have the policies, you don't have the ideas, you don't have the programs that are going to help you to win. You do not have those. So your next best option is to reduce the number of people who can vote with all of these voter suppression laws. And uh, You know, in, in the city of Houston, okay, 4 million people there. How many drop boxes can... Uh, in a city that size, one. Count them, one. That's the law they passed. They don't want people, they don't want to make it easier for people to cast their ballot. They want to make it hard because in their view, um, they they believe the big lie that somehow massive voter turnout to them means massive fraud. And they they don't have the ability to, uh, to discern the difference between Massive voter turnout and massive fraud in their head. The only way Democrats can win is through cheating. If they win, then it was a fair election. That's the kind of logic we're facing with this this new, in this new era we're in, um, where democracy is is in peril, and um, we we have, a, we're at the precipice, I think, of of becoming a, a dictatorship, becoming an an autocracy. If the Republicans win take control of the, the Congress in, in in midterm this year. I think you're going to see Kevin McCarthy be elevated to Speaker, and he's already talked about, you know, how he's going to exact revenge, and he's going to make things worse, and he's even talked about maybe making, uh, you know, it, it, he, he will just, before he does anything, obviously he's going to check with Donald Trump to find out if that's okay for him to do that. And, and, and you know what Trump will do. Trump will tell him to jump, and... McCarthy will say, well, how high do you want me to jump, boss? And he'll do it. The final thing I want to talk about, I think it's the final thing Yeah, but let's see where this goes. Uh, uh, one of the senators from from Texas, Ted Cruz, um, as we know, about a week or so ago, he was on, uh, he, he made a, a speech and he, he made a remark about, uh, this is on the anniversary, the one-year anniversary of, January, the January uh, 6th insurrection of 2021, and he, he said something that made sense to many of us, and he spoke the truth, which is a rare thing for Ted Cruz. He said, these rioters were terrorists, and he was right. They were terrorists. Well, lo and behold, Tucker Carlson did not like that, and Tucker Carlson being the second in command of the republican party with donald trump being you know, first in command and tucker carlson as second in command uh carlson had to had to uh, take him through the woodshed and tell him don't you ever do that again and he uh, ted cruz went on tucker carlson's show and started groveling and apologizing that people misunderstood me i didn't really mean that i'm sorry i said that etc cetera, etc cetera, et cetera. and this is a person who cruz he there is no limit to how low he will go. I mean there the, the there's a bottomless pit there where this man will go. You think back to when he was running for president in 19 I mean 2016 in the in the Republican primary and and Donald Trump just very insulting toward his wife talking about the way she looked. And he also talked about Trump's father being implicated in the assassination of President Kennedy. And Cruz went on television and pointed his finger at Trump and said, "Don't you ever insult my wife again? You'll, you know, he used some kind of choice words for him." And you thought, "Wow, this guy has this guy's pretty tough." But after Trump won, what did Cruz do? Cruz said, "Oh, okay, uh, we'll we'll let bygones be bygones," because Cruz doesn't care. He doesn't have character. He doesn't have principles. He doesn't have values. And then when we had the freeze here in February. In Texas uh, What did he do? He went to Cancun with his daughter and with his daughter's friends and his wife and when he was Confronted about that here. We are in Texas freezing people dying no electricity And he said well, it was my daughter who wanted me to do it. So he throws his daughter and his wife under the bus, you know, what kind of What kind of father? What kind of husband would do that? But oh, the answer is the Ted Cruz type and I remember when he ran for uh, re-election, I believe it was in uh, 2018, um, he talked about, his, 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 um, his theme to his campaign was, vote for Ted Cruz, I am Texas tough. I said, oh my goodness, Texas tough? What does that mean? Somebody who is Texas tough is not going to stand by and let a man insult his wife and his dad and then go back and just start groveling and, and and kissing his boots and kissing his ring and just just fawning all over this man after he has insulted your family come on give me a break so anyway that's that's Ted Cruz and that um, he is he he's a piece of work that's all I can say he is he has a Senate one of the two senators from the state in which I reside and Uh, I'm not proud to say, not at all, not proud to say at all, that either Cornyn or Ted Cruz represent the state of Texas. But we've got an election coming up. Um, Greg Abbott is is running for re-election as governor. And and it's quite interesting. He has two people running against him, Huffines and and Alan West, who are extreme, extreme right-wingers. And that has pushed Abbott more towards the right and, and he has already been endorsed by uh, Donald Trump. And in the Republican Party, that's all you need. You know, everybody else is just going to say, okay, if Donald Trump has blessed you, then that's all we need to do. Except there was this, this senator the other day from, I'm not sure what state he was from, I want to say Maine or Montana, someplace. He was, he stood up to Donald Trump. He said the Republican Party needs to just walk away from this nonsense Admit that this, the election of 2020 was not stolen and we need to move forward. Of course, um, Trump had a few choice words to say about him. He called him a jerk and all kinds of other things. And then our, our friend from South Carolina, um, Lindsey Graham, you know, he has really, <laughs> I, I think Lindsey Graham's issue is that he likes to be, he, he likes to attach himself and gravitate towards people who, who are in the news and who, who are talked about, who, who get attention. I think he lives vicariously through, through these people. He did that with John McCain and then turned his back on John McCain's family. And um, so, you know, the other day he said, um, Donald Trump is the leader of the Republican Party. And of course, Trump does not like Mitch McConnell. And he, kept, he has all kinds of derisive ways of, of describing Mitch McConnell. Calls, calls him a loser, all those sorts of things. And, um, Lindsey Graham says, basically, if, if Mitch McConnell is not willing to work with Donald Trump, then I can't support Mitch McConnell as leader of the, uh, uh, uh of the Senate, the Republican Senate caucus, uh, conference. And if he becomes, if the Democrats, I mean, if the Republicans take over the, the Senate, um, Lindsey Graham is basically saying, if, if you can't make peace with Donald Trump, if you cannot listen to him, and, you know, that's just another way of saying, it. if you cannot kiss his rear end and, and, and um, be part of the cult, then, Mitch, I cannot support you because we can only have, there's only one person who matters in this party, and that's Donald Trump. All of us are here to serve him. All of us are here to, to do what he tells us to do. And anybody who is not going to go along with that plan, you need to step, you need to step aside. You need to step away. Because we have to have pure, uh, consistent loyalty to Donald Trump. And therein lies a, a classic definition of occult. Well, anyway, enjoy your weekend. And by the time you hear this, um, maybe your weekend is over. It's been cold around here, so stay warm. On Martin Luther King's birthday you know point one of the things that I like to do is is just reflect on what he's meant to me and meant to my life and meant to my community and and I think that's something we all ought to do and not just reflect on it but just have a renewed um, spirit and a renewed um, motivation to go out and make some changes do some stuff don't let let's not just roll over and, and, and be passive and, and let these people who claim to support democracy claim to support the constitution who claim to be you know they as i said before they will stand up and recite the pledge of allegiance and um, salute the flag and, and you know do all those things but when it comes down to actually believing and acting out and being faithful to what's in the constitution what's what's in the pledge of allegiance no they don't they don't believe it they do not believe it And one of the persons I did not talk about today, I try not to talk about her, that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, we'll talk about her next time, because she's another piece of work. Anyway, that's it for today, and uh, we will catch you next time. All right, take care. Bye-bye.